You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney with The Haney Company, and I am thrilled to have good friend Thomas Love here with me of the Breakaway League. Tom, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Brian. This is a true pleasure. Thank you. The first four questions that I ask everybody is are, are usually the hardest ones to kind of go through. So I'm sure you put a lot of thought and effort into these. So let's just try to get them out of the way and then we can get to the easier stuff. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Now, that was a tough one. That that took a calculator, three volumes of encyclopedias, and, and I would probably live on an island with a lake. Nice. So, Any, where? Somewhere in the Caribbean, probably. Okay. All right. I like that. I was going to ask you, island with a lake, you know, I know uh, I've been to a few out in Seattle area and some of the, you know, um, northern parts of, of the country, but I, I would probably go with you there I, i'd prefer tropical i like that do and i don't like salt water but i do like the i'm sorry do you snorkel or scuba or anything snorkel is fun um i just don't like salt water that's why i said you know i love the, the caribbean as far as the weather goes but i i have a, a place in northern michigan on a lake and i absolutely love fresh water um unfortunately northern michigan freezes 10 months out of the year and <laughs> that's a, it, it's not very conducive to swimming in water Absolutely. Summer is wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. If you could have a superpower, one superpower, what superpower would you have? You know, I thought about this a lot. I don't know if it's necessarily a superpower, but I just wish I could live forever. Um, I, I, I am so passionate about what it is that I do. And I, I realize I'm closer to death than birth. And it, it bothers me as to how much of an impact I'm going to have for the rest of my life on what it is that I am so passionate about. So I don't know if that's considered a superpower. It's just, it's something that I wish I had control over. No, I, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. It's, it's fun listening to a lot of people um, respond because there's a lot of altruism a lot of times. And, and I, that's how I heard that the immortality wanting to, um, you know, have, have that legacy be something that, you know, you're proud of. And, and uh, for someone like myself, who's, who's passionate about what you do, I, I, I appreciate that. I like that answer. That's great. I, 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 I like, I would like to fly, but I don't know how altruistic that is. It just seems fun. But I have an airplane, so I have a pilot. I don't need to fly. <laughs> oh, there you go. Let's well, see. That's yeah, there it is. All right. Would you rather go to space or to the bottom of the ocean? I would say the bottom of the ocean. Um, space is infinite, and there's just too many, um, too many obstacles, too many shiny objects, if you will. But yet, the bottom of the ocean is something that hasn't been explored. And I think uh, I can, I could probably not only visualize that, but um, make sense of it much more so than than the infinite space. That that confuses the crud out of me. Yeah, I, I'm. I think I've definitely leaned more towards the ocean than outer space. That, you know, all those final frontier, interstellar, the the movies that depict somebody floating off randomly and, and like that's kind of it. That just, oh, that that that, that terrifies me. 
Um, so I know we talked before we got started and you're not much of a podcast consumer. So obviously I know you're going to start to listen to this one, but what kind of recommendation might you have for our audience for a book that they could consume? Well, we'll talk about this in just a little bit too, looking at the outline. But one of the things that, that has affected my life is having been introduced to Simon Sinek's 18 minute, four second podcast uh, video on uh, YouTube on TED Talk, the YouTube uh, Start With Why. And I was so mesmerized by his message, I basically copied down every word he said for the 18 minutes. And it's it's changed my life. It has literally, it's made my life easier. It's made my life more fun. And um, there's a couple of quotes in there, which we'll get into in just a minute, but it literally has changed my life. And my goal is to someday meet him and personally thank him for what he has done and what he is doing. And uh, my income has almost quadrupled, if not quintupled, since 2013 when I first heard him. So uh, I've got nothing but great things to, uh, to, to say about him. Well, that's outstanding. I, I, I've seen uh, the same talk myself, and, and it doesn't sound like I've had perhaps the same impact, but it certainly had an impact on me as well. So I appreciate that. Um, and uh, certainly something for anybody that listens to to look into because it is uh, he does some incredible stuff and uh, i wish everybody would not just hear it but then take it to heart and digest it so um tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself at a high level what do you do and and really it's not just what you do it's why you do what you do right correct correct um i my father was in the business um so i went to college wanting to become an accountant God. And uh, I think after the first quarter, I began to realize that's not what I wanted to do. But but I would come home from college and, and I would find my father just elated some days and then come home from college and find him so upset. And I'm thinking, what kind of career, what kind of career that you would want to stick in would give you that such difference in euphoria to being totally upset? So I started to take some insurance courses in college and uh, basically just really, really admired our professor who was a retired state farm guy. And in 1978, I got my license and I've been doing this ever since. Graduated from college on a Saturday, started to work for a blue chip insurance company on Monday. Never have interviewed for a job, never have been told when to take a vacation. I would not do well in corporate America. But I've been doing this for 43 years. And the thing that was fascinating to me is that I was always exposed to successful people. And what was really, what resonated with me was when I was, when I was asking these people, you know, what should I do at 20, 21 years old? What can I do to really have an impact on people's lives? Everyone with gray hair basically said, you are entering this business at the most opportune time because by the time you reach your retirement age, You will be witnessing the largest transfer of wealth this country has ever seen. Your goal, your objective, your vision should be, what kind of a message could you have so that by the time you reached our age, said the people with gray hair, you would be able to have a story that people would want to listen to. So I've been preparing for what's going on right now for 40 plus years. Hmm. And it amazes me how many people say, my gosh, you know, you thought this through so well. And yeah, I have. I've got 40 years of prepping for this stuff. Everything that's going on right now, we basically discovered or discussed in college. This is, there's nothing new in the financial world, nothing, except education. 
And I think there are so many misguided people out there as to what education truly means. I have a group of about 50 people now. Um, I run a group called the Breakaway League. And what we do is we teach how to educate, advocate, share, help, and we don't sell. Yet we sell a lot. We, we average 10 million a premium a year. And we do this by not selling. We do this by educating people on the power of the most flexible financial product ever invented by man. We could all argue about rate of return, but you know, the nice thing about having an organization of smart people is that I've got five CPAs and an attorney in our group, and we've all done the math on the equivalent rate of return on how much you'd have to earn out in the real world to net what you're gonna get using an insurance strategy. And in some cases, depending upon your tax bracket, it's as much as 27% a year. Yeah. Pay the tax, the state tax, the tax on social security, your Medicare premium. These things are not required by law to understand. They're not even required by law to be explained. And, and I, this, is, this is the problem that I see in our, in our profession is that we, we give not half-truths, we just kind of share what we're supposed to share based on regulation. But when I found out how wealth works about 10 years ago, I've made it my life mission now to teach people how wealth works, not math. Obviously, everybody believes 10 is better than 8, better than 6, and that's better than 2. I get that. But would you rather have a bigger pile of money in retirement, or would you rather have a bigger paycheck in retirement? We talk about the paycheck, yet every conversation everyone has with a financial advisor is about a bigger pile of money. And that's the wrong message. It's the wrong story. Now, I, um, I, I, this is why I was so excited for us to have this kind of a conversation, because I know we are kindred spirits. And I know um, even on your LinkedIn profile, you consider yourself a wealth educator. And I think that that's that's, you know, that's certainly something that our, you know, myself and our practice have tried to embrace because I agree with you. I think that there is, there's a big difference between information and wisdom, right? There's a lot of information out there. Some of it might even be good. Um, and there's a lot of people out there communicating things that might seem important and valuable, reasonable, even applicable. But the wisdom, the difference is being able to digest that effectively and strategically for yourself and really understand what is true and not true and what you need to take action on versus things that you don't. And I, I, I completely appreciate what you're, what you're saying about that type of an approach. Can I give you an example? Yes, please. Um, for all the people out there that are in the financial services world, um, listen carefully to the question and then I want you to kind of do the math yourself. I always prep the question with every client that I meet by telling them, I'm gonna ask you a question and you're gonna get it wrong. But it's not designed to embarrass you, it's designed to let you know that first impressions are not what they appear. So here's the question, would you rather be person A or person B? Person A has five million, person B has three million. Who would you rather be? Now, most people just quickly respond. And I've only had, I've been asking this question off about the past six, seven years. I've only had five people that have asked me a question before they respond. And the question is this, where is it? See, that's yep. more important than what it earned. So let's go through the math if we could. If we use the Monte Carlo theory, the Trinity study, the safe withdrawal rate, call it what you wish. 
If I use that number at 4% and I have $5 million in an IRA because most of the financial gurus talk about paying your house off and building your IRA as fat as you can. As my son says, you don't need a retirement plan to retire, you need money. So let's assume <laughs> this person has $5 million in his IRA, taking a safe withdrawal rate of 200 grand a year, that's 4%, but it's 100% taxable. Person B bought the crappiest rate of return in the tax code, life insurance. But because of the way the tax code treats distribution from the insurance product, it produces $180,000 a year, 100% tax exempt. Would you rather have 200,000 taxable or 180 that doesn't have a 1099? And that's when people say I'd rather have B. And, if, and then I pause for a minute. If you truly believe B, because you're spending more money than A, you've got to get rate of return out of your conversation for the rest of your life. And the next time you're uh, approached by a financial advisor who tells you, I can get you a better rate of return because the return you're getting is not good, I need you to laugh at them. You know more about wealth than they do. Now, they know more about rates of returns. They could probably recite a prospectus for you and tell you on what page of the prospectus the question is answered. But very few understand spending their money as opposed to accumulating their money. So again, let's go back to 1978 when I got my license and they said, if you get licensed and you stay in this business long enough, you'll have a message that will resonate with people. There are baby boomers that have amassed a huge amount of money. Most often it's in the wrong place, but mm -hmm. they have the money. But then they begin to realize the tax man cometh. And after this bailout of an additional five to six trillion more, taxes have got to go up, I believe. And if they do, they're going to come after people with 1099s. I don't have a 1099 on my distribution. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think, um, the biggest challenge that I see across our industry is the way we all understand if we're not, we don't actually physically wear the CPA hat, we're not supposed to give tax, tax advice, and that's valid. However, basically understanding what we're talking about to make sure that the framework is there to understand income, right? How much comes out of your paycheck and where does it go? And by the way, when that income isn't from your employer and you are now the employer because you're retired, that doesn't mean that that stuff still won't come out, but you want to know, do you have more control over it at that stage of your life versus when you were working for it? And I think like we're talking about, it really depends on how you allocate those resources while you're working. And I, I, I agree 100%. You know, it's such an undervalued, if not not discussed, part of that conversation where, you know, hey, you're making great money and you're saving it in all of the traditional ways, but you're the reality of some of what that looks like is you could be seeing 22 to 28% coming out just because those are basic taxes that we just kind of don't think about, but we pay them as we go but they have an impact. They absolutely have an impact. And I, uh, I like so I how you go through that math. I want to pick up a word that you used, advice. Yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, I don't give advice anymore. 
and I don't I don't give tax advice either. I give tax questions. Yeah. I, I want to ask the question in a way that somebody gets upset and does some research because 12 years ago when I found all this stuff out that I'm doing now, I got angry. I got very angry because the more I researched this strategy and who's doing it, I got angry. And I got angry because what we talk about is 107 years old. Yeah. And I never heard about it. And I was successful. I was considered by many to be a success in the business. I never heard any of this stuff. And let me tell you something. The people that get this have been doing it for 107 years. But there's a reason why they don't want the average American to know about this. Because there's this entitlement attitude. I'm entitled to know more than you. Yet when you're audited, the first thing out of an auditor's mouth is you're entitled to every financial benefit of every single line of every page of the tax code. It, however, is not the desire of the internal revenue to teach you a damn thing that's in it. <laughs> so if we go through life and this has been in the code and we're not aware of it, shame on us, shame on us. And I pity the people that go out and say, I recommend, I advise you, because that's where the lawsuits come in. We don't have any, we have our client sign a form that basically says they've chosen to do this. I'm not giving advice. I'm licensed to enable everything you want, but I am not, do not hold me accountable for your financial decision. If here's what I, here's what I do. I look at it this way. I help people understand the financial implications of the choices they're already making. Yep. And people do not realize when they have a qualified retirement plan, depending upon which state and city you leave, live in, you could be paid as much as sixth. Sixth in line. Five entities could take your money first before you get a nickel. Now, again, if that bothers you, I can fix it. And if it doesn't bother you, I have nothing to offer you. You can't buy anything from me because everything I believe is paying taxes once and you believe in paying taxes for the rest of your life. I can't take you as a client. No, I, you're absolutely right. And, and that's, you know, it, I think it's not the devil is in the details. Sometimes it's just really about ask yourself and answer the right questions for yourself. So if I asked you three questions, do you want to make more money every year you're in business? Do you want to retire successful, the level of success you've achieved up to your retirement date? And do you believe personal income tax rates have got to go up? Now, if you answer yes to all three of those questions, what you're admitting, probably for the first time in your adult life, is today represents the lowest income tax bracket of forever. And when we postpone a tax, we postpone the tax calculation. Right. If you want to make more every year, that's called bracket creep. You're going to be putting money into the 10% bracket and pulling it out at 29, 37. Wonderful. And if you know that going in, I'm going to take the tax deduction at 10% and pay back that same dollar and give the government 37 cents on every dollar I take out. And I know that. I applaud you. Good for you. We, we can't do business together because I think that's asinine. But if you want to continue doing what you're doing, I respect that. We just can't do business together. You don't believe as I do. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, I'm sure you've seen it, the, the power of zero, uh, great documentary on the tax train is coming. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I would 
absolutely venture to guess that the average American, even the 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 moderately affluent American, really doesn't consider the weight of our debt, of our national spending, and what that really will do. I mean, it's 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 like you said at the beginning, some of this stuff really is just math, and the math is eventually going to add up to, you know, fill in the blank what you think the tax implication is going to be, but at some point, things are going to change. And I, and I, I just think, um, and, and you see this all the time, that we don't reconcile that. We talk about a lot of the other parts of our financial world that we're more comfortable with, more confident with. People like to avoid speculating worst case scenarios. To me, this isn't speculation. To me, it's we need to understand this is going to happen at some point unless we decide as a nation that we're just going to go bankrupt and experience that type of a consequence. And we know that we're not going to do that. So, so Brian, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, be, being on the board of the AALU gave me some wonderful privileges, and that was the ability to see every Democratic, and I'm not, I am not political. I just know I got to see every Democrat candidate's um, tax plan. Joe Biden has been very upfront. He wants to raise $2.3 trillion of additional tax. So I know if taxes go up, I'm going to make a fortune. My message will have so much more importance than it does right now. Because right now, I believe we're all in the lowest tax bracket of the rest of our lives. And when the taxes go up, yes, I'm going to pay more money, but I'm going to make a fortune sharing this message with people. This is a 107-year-old tax code, how to accumulate wealth off the radar screen of the IRS for income tax purposes. It's 107 years old, and the wealthiest people in the country have been doing it for years. I just yeah. found out about it, and I'm doing it as much as I possibly can and sharing the message with people who will sit down long enough to listen. Well, let's talk, let's talk about some of the granular points of this message, because you're, you're absolutely right of, of how critically important it is. I, you know, I've, I've always considered myself a self-avowed nerd when it comes to understanding certain products, specifically across the insurance landscape, and life insurance is probably one of the top ones that I have enjoyed just, you know, popping the hood and looking under to see what's, what, what it's all about. Um, Let's walk through some of maybe the, the important and fine points of what you talk about when we're, when we're specifically talking about life insurance that has and builds cash value. Correct. The stuff that Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey just cannot, cannot tolerate. Yes. It's, it's, hopefully they'll come around one of these days, but we don't need to hold our breath and wait. It's all no, right. And, and I hope they never do because it just builds my message. It makes me have much more of a succinct message than having them be converted. And that's true. Um, I, I'm okay with them espousing that. There's stories behind both of them that are just comical, but that's not the story. The story is if you understood how wealth was taxed, yes, you wouldn't do half of what you're doing. Yeah, I mean let's the uh, let's go the simple the conversation of qualified versus non-qualified, right? I mean. We don't well, think not only that, but let's talk, let's talk about distribution and let's talk about, um, yeah. you know, Brian Bloom is a CPA in our group and he wrote a book, The Capital Equivalent Value of Life Insurance, how much money you'd have to earn in the real market to equal what you're going to get from life insurance. And since this is audio only, let's, let's use our mental brains here for just a minute. Let's <laughs> use a, a contribution of $100,000 a year. 
our average premium is close to that anyway. So let's assume somebody wants to put in a hundred grand a year. We use a product called a 10 pay life. Mm -hmm. Now there's only a handful of companies that have that. And there's a reason why on the distribution side, I believe, I believe it's a better deal than IUL, for example. IUL is a great accumulation product. I think it's horrible on the distribution side, but on the accumulation side, it, it merits. It has merit. So let's go through the math. If I put a hundred grand in every year in premium for 10 years, I put in a million dollars. Yep. Now here's where we lose most financial advisors. And I get it. The cash value is a whopping million twenty. So the average person looks at that and goes, that's not even 1% a year. And I laugh at him. I go, I don't even think it's that. I think it stinks, but it's not about rate of return. That's right. It's going to generate $70,000 a year, 100% exempt from taxation. Yep. So the real question is, if I do the math backwards and I have $70,000 spendable money and it doesn't offset Social Security, I get $11,000 extra on my Social Security on average. I don't have to pay the $3,000 Medicare premium. I don't have to pay a, st a state tax, a state tax. You do pay an estate tax, but not a state income tax. Right. And a federal tax, you would have to have an income of about $130,000 a year to pay the extra social security, the state, the federal, Medicare, and net the 70. So if I took a calculator and I divided, well, let's do that for craps and grins. If I have $129,000 income, and I divide that by 0.04, I'm gonna be able to spend money as if my life insurance was 3.225 million. So here's the real question. I have only a million in cash, but I get to spend it as if I had 3 million using the Monte Carlo theory and paying all those ridiculous taxes. That's at a 37% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. If it goes to 67%, I'd need 7 million to yeah. come up with $70,000. So here's the point. What is the rate of return I would have to invest? Yep. That I would have to earn on my money over a 10 year period of time, putting in a hundred grand a year to build some hypothetical account worth 3.2 million. Well, we've already done the math and it's north of 20%. Now, life insurance isn't a 20% rate of return, but the people that understand how wealth is taxed will enjoy an equivalent of a 20% rate of return on something else. And again, that's at today's low tax bracket. I didn't want to get too granular, but the math is phenomenal. And when you look at the products that are out there, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can achieve financial independence. Yeah. But it all has to do with the product that gave you the wrong first impression. Yeah. If you're not open-minded enough to look at how it works rather than what it's called. I wouldn't want that person as a client anyway. Well, you know, one of the most eye-opening conversations I like to have with my clients and just people in general is, do you understand both buckets of money at work in a cash value life insurance policy? And people are like, well, what do you mean? And then we just go through the simple conversation of, you know, we, we, what you just described, the money that you put in that has a cash accumulation component, but 
there's another part of your policy that's also very, very important for you to be able to understand, and that's the death benefit, which is what? It's a contractual obligation by the insurance company providing you that policy to pay someone a stated value of money, right? And what that someone is, is it can be this named beneficiary when you pass, or it can be you while you're still alive through the form of loans. And so people don't understand that that's part of the power of the policy. And I think they just look at the cash component, which you know, it, this, this reinforces what you're talking about and how these strategies are so powerful, but we just don't know how they work. I didn't. And again, 30 years in the business before I knew actually how it worked. Yeah. The, the most fascinating thing for me when I really started doing the, the homework to look at this strategy was to understand you cannot borrow from an insurance policy, just like you can't borrow from your house. Yet people out, out there are advertising home equity loans. Get equity out of your house. Well, you can't get equity out of your house. It's impossible. These home equity loans are basically collateralized loans. And to prove it, when you close your home equity loan, you might want to ask the banker as you're walking out of his office, you know, the check that you gave me, this is my money, right? I mean, because it's my equity, right? It, it, because this is mine. Or is this the bank's money? And that's when it begins to hit people. You can't get equity out of your house. Why would you pay this off? I would rather have all of my money in a savings account paying my house off if I had to, but I never want to pay off my house. I, I get a tax deduction. So if, when you understand equity, I would rather have a million dollars of equity in trash, I mean, cash value life insurance than a million dollars of equity in my home. To get equity out of my home, I need 39 forms, 45 days, a credit report, an appraisal. I need to talk to somebody about what it is. I have to prove everything I've done for the last 90 days. This is what it takes to get equity out of my life insurance. Insurance company, yeah, yeah, this is Tom. Yep, I know there's a lot of money in there. Listen, could you wire a million dollars to my account? Could you really? Great. And how soon? Two days? <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate doing business with you. Click. 45 days, 39 forms, a credit score, proof you can pay it back, or a phone call. And by the way, the bank wants to hear from you every 30 days. And if they don't, they own your house. The insurance company doesn't care if you take, pay the money back because you're borrowing against your dead self. Yep. You're borrowing against the death benefit, not your cash value. Your cash value is guaranteed to continue to grow. I'm borrowing against an asset that the lender is guaranteeing the growth of the asset I've loaned against. No one else does that, by the way. Nope. Yet you can margin, you can reverse mortgage, you can primary mortgage, or you can buy life insurance. The people who get it, collateralized life insurance. No pre-59 and a half penalties. No cost basis calculations. I can pull out my cost and my profit by loans, and my loan is paid back when I'm dead. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, what we're just describing in in my, my estimation, relatively simple terms, is the missing part of the conversation that cuts across the, you know, the, the industry and really the, the consuming public landscape. It's, 
you know, we've, I, I think so many people want to just commoditize things and make them digestible. If A, then B. If you do this and this is your situation, then here's the B that you need to take. But that's frankly terrible advice because nobody's personal financial situation is prescriptive in nature. What yours is and mine are, are completely different situations. And so when we create these kind of one size shoe fits all conversational pieces, everybody should do it this way. And we kind of, you know, I think it's, I think it does so much more damage because then people, I think, receive that, follow those prescriptions without recognizing their choices, without thinking much about what they're really trying to do. And sometimes without even understanding what they've executed on. Um, so you I know. Don't my story about you want to be person A or person B. Yeah. I mean, there, and, and, and I don't go over that lightly because Brian, I think to me, first impressions are sometimes completely wrong. That's why I love that question. You want to be a person with a lot of money or a person with the money in the right spot. And people yeah. want a lot of money. And then when they understand the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, then you begin, to, all I want my clients to do is think. I don't want them to buy anything. I want them to think. Because if they think through this, I, I promise my clients two things. Number one, I will always be cognizant of the fact this is your money. And most mm -hmm. important, it's a lot. So it has nothing to do with me. I am not in this equation. Here's where you are, and here's what's gonna happen to you. And if you're okay with that, so am I. If you realize what's gonna happen to you is not what you thought, I can help you change course. But I'm not gonna offer if you don't want it. And if you don't want it, I'm okay with that. Next. If I were to draw a circle and, and start one side of a pie slice and say, draw for me how big of a pie slice you want to give the IRS every month of your life. People will hand me back the knife saying, I don't want to even add another line to it. That's right. Do you realize that's in the code? It's mm -hmm. been there 107 years. You yeah. can do this. First impressions. I get a kick out of, we have a questionnaire and I get a kick out of people who will tell me, we ask a question, how do you feel about the stock market? Um, how do you feel about life insurance? And, and people, I mean, sometimes they're very vocal. Life insurance, oh, it's horrible. It, it stinks. I only have term. Uh, life insurance is a bad whatever, whatever. And I, I love talking to those people. Because <laughs> yeah. when I draw that circle and I ask how much of your wealth would you never want to expose to an income tax, they say all of it. And I fold up my briefcase and I say, that's too bad. And they go, what are you talking about? I said, you don't like what it's called. Yeah. See, you love what it does, but you don't like what it's called. Yeah. And if you're going to put more credence on what it does compared to what it is called, if you're going to put more credence on its name than everything it can accomplish, I, I really can't take you as a client anyway. And he goes, well, what, what are you talking Well, wait a minute. Well, wait, well, maybe I don't know everything. And I go, well, maybe you don't. Would you like to know the rest of the story? And they go, well, if it'll help me. And I go, okay, so if it does, we have to understand. Sometimes the words that are associated with a product will give you the wrong impression as Absolutely. person A, person B. You think more is better, and it's not necessarily the case. I just want you to understand when I'm done with a meeting, I will tell a client, I want to accomplish one thing today. My objective is singular. I want you to say, today I learned something. I don't want you to say I bought life insurance. 
Yeah. That would be cool if you did. But if I could walk away from you saying you learned something good, my message is to educate and to advocate for the benefit of taxpayers. Yeah. No, I, 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 I completely agree. And part of that's why we're kindred spirits. That was my passion behind even having a podcast like this is to allow more people to hear messages that they may not already be hearing and also to be empowered to make the right financial decisions that they're trying to make. We're all trying to make good financial decisions. The problem is we don't understand. We don't understand the variables. We don't know necessarily all the consequences. We may not even be able to see all of the appropriate options we should be considering. And that's exactly why going through all of this is so important. It's, it's once, I think, once things are laid out and you can understand all of your options, the pros and cons of each, people are empowered to be able to make the right calls for themselves. But the problem is that's just not the normal type of experience that people have. And I, you know, I, I completely agree. It's, it's not just education, it's empowerment. And I firmly believe in full disclosure. If you can find something that's treated better in the tax code than the way this is, I'm all ears. I really am, but I gave up my registration after 42 years. I was a stockbroker up to 42 years. And last June, I sent it back. I haven't found anything in the tax code that's treated this way. And yes, there's investments, but I have discovered over 40 years being a registered rep, the only people on Wall Street that made any money were on Wall Street. <laughs> so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to play that game anymore. And, and I'm happy with the 20% net effective rate of return equivalent because of the way the tax code works. And I don't have to worry. None of my clients lost a nickel in their cash value over the last six weeks. Yep. Not one. As a matter of fact, they were all guaranteed to have more money each month. I can't say that when I was a registered rep. And who says, where is it written that every five to 10 years, you have to give up 30 to 40% of your net worth? Oh, I'm sorry. That's called a bear market. And we have to, ha I don't want to play that dumb game anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, there needs to be a significant, you know, I don't want to use the word flight. There needs to be a significant transition of thinking and of allocation into things that really people value and they say that they value and yet we're just not you know we're 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 there's so many where we're just doing things because we're told if a then b but it's not that's not it that's not the equation we work our practice works a lot in the association space and um you know, we have a lot of conversations with executives about various options for um, executive compensation and packaging. And I think what we're talking about is a great place for that. What would you say to an association executive as to why this could be a significant opportunity if they're trying to improve their financial situation based off of the money that they're getting from their association? If I could show you two different parts of the tax code that would have the government basically pay you to buy all the things that you're buying as an association using collateralized cash value, would you be open to that conversation? That'd be the first question I would ask. The second question is, 
If I could show you how you could build an account off the radar screen of the IRS for income tax purposes and use it unencumbered by taxes for the rest of your life, no age restrictions, would you like to see how to use it? If I could show you the six parts of the tax code that use the word exempt, where distributions have no place to put on your tax return, would you like to know any of those six ways? If I could show you five strategies where you could retire and not file a tax return, would you like to see any of those five? That's what I'd start with. And again, yeah. what we're doing here, Brian, is we're basically applying for the job of helping them. But yeah. notice, I'm applying. I'm not saying you gotta. Yep. Because there's people out there that know more than me. I don't doubt that. But not about what this is. I haven't met anybody that understands more about this than me. And I own this space. I own this space because I understand, I think, what people want. But I'm not going to sell anything anymore. You know, I could come up to you and say, you know, Brian, you're doing it all wrong. You know, they've got association that you own. You know, you're doing it all wrong. Everything you're doing is wrong. Or I could say, would you like to know how you could get better? Yeah. And if they say no, that's okay. Yep. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. And I know uh, our audience is going to hopefully not just love this, but but start thinking differently. Because it's like you said, you like to um, challenge conventional wisdom. It's yes. what, what, and that's, you know, we, we've just had a great conversation that really does. It challenges conventional wisdom. And um, I, I appreciate you making the time and the margin to do this. Any final shout outs that you'd like to make? Um, anything you want to plug? Well, I'll, I'll plug the website. Um, there's thebreakawayleague.com. Mm -hmm. Pretty much kind of tells people what we believe and why we believe it. Um, I also, I have written two books. Um, one of them is The Explanation of Services, How to Answer the Question, What do you do for a living? Does the answer really matter? The answer is yes, it does matter. And then I wrote a book called Turning Clients into Advocates, It's Easier Than You Think. Both of those, and one is a course, the EOS, Explanation of Services, is actually a course, and that is available at theexplanationofservices.com. Awesome. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? This toll-free phone number, 1-800-200-LOVE. Awesome. 1-800-200-5683 or contact us on the, on the website, thebreakawayleague.com. Awesome. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate all your insight. Great conversation. Can't wait to, to listen to this. Well, hey, listen, thank you very much for allowing me to vent and, uh, and share the message. I believe education is extremely important, and I believe the tax code is written for two people, those who get it and those who don't. And my job is to help people understand what's in the tax code. Awesome. Take care. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. 
The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.